Hi, I'm Andrzej Lichnerowicz, Angelo on the demo scene. I'm a founder of uh, Polish Demo Scene Chronicles, uh, doing some historical research on Polish demo scene, and you're listening to Scene World Podcast. Hello! Welcome to the Scene World podcast. Hey, welcome. This is the intro with famous remute and not the so famous Nefcom, aka Dennis Karimani and Jörg Trüge. <laughs> and we're Scene World. Yes, Scene World. You, ha you actually have two labels, remute and Scene World member. Oh yeah, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> One pays better than the other. <laughs> Yeah, before we go into the interview, we actually talked to two people from Espacio Tech, the Tech Space Museum in Argentina. But before we, we move to Argentina with our podcast interview, we actually talk about Retro News. And I wrote some stuff down. Number one news from the scene is actually that Dave Moorman, the former second publisher i would say because he picked up from fender tucker back in the day he released a new book called most marvelous machine explanation particular as first an ebook and then also now as a paperback that can be ordered from amazon and surprise here not Amazon USA alone, but he published it, released it with Amazon internationally. So you can even buy it from Germany for the same price in Euro without having to pay import costs, taxes and stuff, import taxes. Which can be pretty high, by the way, yeah. in Germany. Yeah. Amazingly so, high. <laughs> so that's cool. I got the book already and, of course... Dave Mormon is a man of his words, and the book is very good. So I can only suggest you this book. Also, we should link to the website that he created in 2015. That is not much known, surprisingly, because on that website, he has put all the episodes of Lodestar since he took over the publishing because he didn't participate in the collection CD of Lodestar that Fender Tucker released back in the day. If you miss, if you missed the app, the the issues Dave Moorman released when he took over the magazine, you can download it from their website. I will put a link to that in the podcast description as well. And let's move to the next book. Last Friday, the, so the 16th of September was actually the release party at the V2 event place in Rotterdam, Netherlands for the floppy disk fever book. And our staff member, Taco, aka Drake, was present, presenting the history and the disk mag itself on place in front of the international audience. I think yeah. the floppy disk fever guys are pretty amazing. Greetings. <laughs> they know how to party. Yeah. And also, I hope that hopefully our Gamescom interview videos will be up soon. And then, of course, also there, Dennis will put it on our social media. We'll spread the word. We'll spread yeah. The word. 
And what else? Two weeks delayed. Phil Adams, the CEO of Intellivision, actually <laughs> basically did a copy and paste job of the newsletter two weeks earlier and posted it on Republic, where all his investors were and invested in the console. They invested $10 million in the console around about. And, and you can actually see that it's a copy and paste from a Word document because the counting of the bullet points, it's actually one at, e at each bullet point. So it's point one, point one, point one. Yeah. And of course, uh, Pat and Ian from from their podcast, the CU podcast made an made a special about this announcement as well. We will mention that there too. So anyway, so it's actually the same news we had last time we made an episode with news part about in television Amico. It's the same, it's the same email, just some wording changed at the beginning for the investors. But same old stories. Same still old stories. same old stories, same, same 25, I think, production units waiting mm. to be assembled. Same info about the bug in the controller firmware they have fixed. And so it's the same news, actually. Yeah. yeah. Will we get a review unit? I don't know. We have been promised one. If we got one, we will see. But Phil Adams, if you happen to hear this, let us know. <laughs> we will see. We will keep on track on that. That's about it, actually. That's the news I've got. So... Well, we would we could say it's the past summer hole when it comes to news, or I didn't find the nicer ones. But those are the ones for this time. Yeah, if there will be more news anything. in the future. There will be more news in the future, I think. You're right. It's the late summer hole. And yeah. Okay, so let's not hesitate and move to Argentina. Yeah? Enjoy. Enjoy. Bye-bye. Today... We are talking with two people from Argentina, from the Espacio Tech, from the Tech Space Museum in Argentina. And the two people on the left is Jose Francisco Manera, coordinator of institutional relations. Mm -hmm. And on the right side is Sebastian Roux, general coordinator. Yes. Nice to have you here, guys. And uh, today we will talk about computers, the history, about your museum, everything tech regarding Argentina, because over here there's not much known about it apart from the Treen Commodore 64. So thrilled to learn a bit more. <laughs> okay. You start with the history of the museum. Yes, let's first start perhaps your history. I don't know who okay. you wants to start, but how did you okay. get involved in the computers and stuff? Sebastian is the general coordinator. Okay. okay. The first one. Yeah, 45, <laughs> I'm 45, so I started in my first contact with an Atari VCS. It was in, in primary school. I think I was in second degree at seven years old. A friend of mine had a this kind of wizardry. And I got my first C64 when I was in, in, in 89, I think, or, or 90. And since then, I, I'm keeping all the computers I, I was acquiring. And 
Actually, I, I'm an architect, but I love computing and programming and assemble the hardware and learning and reading. So I'm enthusiastic. I watch all the YouTube videos uh, about repairing, <laughs> and it's like a it's a hobby. And I think I I have my collection about I don't know thirty something forty computers and consoles and things. But with my integration into Spatial Tech, it's like my collection took a, took a second place, and it's like the collection is the museum collection actually now. Ah, interesting. Like I'm not so that worried like I was before in, in growing my own collection, but working with the museum collection. I could get in contact with computers like that on my own, it, it was more difficult, like the Commodore Pet, which is a rare computer here in Argentina and stuff like that. I, I, I knew the guys in 19, I'm in 2018, I think. It's, I don't know, it's the word meritocracy. <laughs> the more you effort, the more you participate, the more you do here. I started involving myself in, into this project. Awesome. And how was it for you, Francisco? How did it start for you? I am a bit younger than Sebastian. I'm 34 years old. I didn't grow up with Cobalt or, or Spectrums. My first computer was a, a, a boring PC. And I discovered the home computers by, by, by chance. And then I became a, a collector. My first encounter with a Commodore 64 was reading that the Maniac Missions was written for the Commodore 64. And I thought, oh, this is a Commodore 64. And I started re research. Uh, about it, and I fell in love with, with Commodore and retro computing in general, and I started my collections. And some years later, I bought a, an Amiga 500, and was mind blowing for me. And when, now I am the Amiga guy in the museum. Uh, beside, I my first computer was a PC, and for me, it was very, uh, very transforming, life changing. Life changing for me because I was studying, I studied computer science and the retro computing helped me to think in context. I can think this device was the better for doing that task and now we do things different. And for me, it was very, helped me a lot in my career. I'm a bit different from other guys of my <laughs> generation because I, when we, I tell them the Amiga did that, but the PC don't. <laughs> Doesn't. And then I joined the museum, and for me, uh, retro computing is part of my life now. Uh, you said boring PC, but actually nowadays DOS gaming is a retro thing. It yeah. has yes, its own yes. section nowadays. <laughs> and yes. It's very funny because this year was the first time we installed a, a PC in uh, on the museum. You have Amiga, Atari ST, or uh, Commodore City 4, Spectrum, blah, blah. And one day we said, there is no PC here, and people are asking for that. <laughs> yeah, we had the, the, the 50, 51 piece, but not yeah, a Pentium 2 or something like that, which nowadays is it's an old computer. Yeah, it's interesting how things change. Computer uh, for me, PC is, is boring in the in in a design point of view. I really enjoyed playing the OS, the OS games, actually. But I don't. It's 
hospital no soul PC for me. What I want nowadays to fiddle around with MAS, XMS, and auto exec back and config com and so on. I'm not sure. Config sys, I don't know if I would want to do that. It's much more easier using DOSBox on a Windows PC. Yes. And yes. You can yes. still play the game. Yeah, um, the, experience, the experience is not the same because you had to get involved right. those kind of things. Uh, about configuring, you buy. Uh, I remember buying a CD with a game. I don't recall the name now, and it took me two days to get it working <laughs> because of the memory. It was a 486 DX2, the computer, but I had only four megas of megs of RAM, and it, it was quite difficult to get it running and playing. <laughs> yeah. That's true, that's true. So how did it start with the museum, actually? Pancho? Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, the, the museum uh, it started a bit as an environmental project for recycled computers. And the people who, who were in, in that moment repair computers or disassemble computers and store parts in our warehouse. And they discovered that there were some items, some objects, some computers or machines that maybe we have to, we should do to store away. because it could be on a museum. And then we, the collectors, joined them. And this was the, how the museum uh, started. And we have a, a huge collection actually. And in 2014, I think. We move from another place to where we are here, and this is this place is suitable for showing for machines to to the people. We are here. We are working improving the collection. We are working with the database and the catalogado. Cataloging. Yes, cataloging. We're yes. cataloging our collection, and it's quite a task. Yes. Actually, interestingly, the way I got aware about you was you actually found us first, because at some point you started following on Twitter. Yes, yes, because uh, we opened a Twitter account two months ago or something like that, because we moved generally on you know, Facebook or Instagram, but I figured out that the there were a lot of small retro gaming or retro groups on Twitter, so I should open a Twitter account. And I started to follow many interesting accounts, and I found you. Ah, so it was you, actually. Okay, interesting, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I was looking at, he's, at he's your also page the, and was... He's also sorry. the Twitter, besides being the Amiga guy, even though I had uh, two Amigas back in the day, <laughs> <laughs> and then I moved to PC. Besides being the Amiga guy, he's the Twitter guy. <laughs> okay. Yes. And the last year, I closed all my social accounts because for me it was a waste of time. But I only use the Twitter. This is how we got here. So at least it had some use. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I think behind you there is a collection of motherboards or something. It looks like. Oh, it, yes. Right? It was. <laughs> this is the motherboard wall. It's like the Death Star Trench. It's where you take your picture when you go to visit. I'll tell you, this was this mother were garbage. I 
and we have the, the idea to make something artistic and people like to take pictures there. Awesome. Yeah. And they, 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 the people take videos like uh, Death Star Trench. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we will use it to make the Star Wars 10, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> 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 you heard it first here. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk a bit about the history of computers in general in Argentina. I think you you told me last time it started out with Treen making an agreement with Commodore to bring the computers to the market, right? Yes, yes. Uh, Drean is, we call, we, we, we pronounce here Drean. Because I, I don't know what it means, because it's not dream, it's Drean with an N. So Drean is a machine maker, and they made an agreement with Commodore in the 80s, because here was easy to assemble things that imported. So was the only, the only country or the world that made an official agreement with Commodore to sell Commodore computers with another label legally. So here they, Drean made some modifications related with the video modulator because here we use the or we use the PAL and encoded encoding system. It's a mix between the American and the and PAL B. Yeah, actually PALN is a hacked version of PAL B. Yes. Just, it, it just was, to be it, different, it, just to keep away from Brazil, which is PALM. Yeah, PALM no. is a pain. Yeah. Let me tell you about yes, it. Yes, yes. You told me about it. <laughs> yeah, but it, I think it's a political decision to, to be different for some for keeping just to keep the difference here in Europe. Pal N is not a problem. Our TV is supported. Our projector is supported. No problem. But Pal M, as you mentioned in Brazil, is a unicorn because it's you it's using NTSC American signaling for the picture horizontal vertical line and stabilization but the european paul color scheme color signal and that is why paul m is so difficult many devices here in europe would detect paul m as a ntsc signal and displayed in pla uh, black and white so most televisions here in Europe can't handle the Brazilian signal. So it's really a pain. So for us, Argentinian signal is not really a big deal. You can see in the text specs, it works. So I guess you are lucky there. It's not so much of a unicorn as in Brazil. Okay, so we, we should uh, give you a uh, Adrian and you could use it with your own television. Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> the, the only problem, of course, is making the correct uh, customs declaration. So to get... I, ha I have a friend living in, in Germany, so if he come here, he could return with the machine. Yeah. Talking about Drian, when they made, they assembled these computers and um, they made Commodore 16, Commodore 64, Commodore uh, 128, and then they, I remember, maybe... Sebastian could better that they made a mistake. They announced something that Commodore did not allow them, and then they lost the, their license because they announced a product uh, before Commodore allowed them. I think that they, yeah, they, 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 they missed the, the Amiga. They missed the Amiga, and the Amiga was imported by I think General Computer, which, which was company uh, for importing that. Uh, that uh, the importing the PCs, the PC line, I think there were, I remember when, when I bought my first 
uh, Amiga 500. It was broken, so I had to go to the warranty. And I went to Buenos Aires to General Computer, and they had a lot of posters of the PC20, PC30, I think. And I don't remember. It was in 91 or 92. I see, Ryan missed the, missed the Amiga. But during the 80s, Drian sold many computers, so the, the people knows they, they knew the Commodore as Drian, Drian Commodore, and they, 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 they differentiate from the, the, the original Commodore, say the American Commodore or the Drian Commodore, even though we are in America too, but <laughs> some people say America regarding the USA. Yeah, you explained it last time a bit and even showed the differences of the computer. I will put that in so people can actually see this difference difference between the three, the three, three and the original Grower 64. Yeah, we, and you we, also showed the spectrum, I believe. Yeah, we will send you pictures if you like sure, to sure. Uh, imprint it on the video. But what Drea did was bringing broken boards, importing broken boards, and they repair them in a, I don't know, uh, it? In a, they repair them and they sell them like a new, yeah, a workshop. I remember disassembling my C64C and finding a Rev A board inside. Oh, okay. <laughs> they put anything, just they wanted to sell, they bring the broken boards, the ones the, that work it were sold under the case they had that time. And the ones that not, were not working, they I think they put them away or throw it away. So but actually, Commodore... actually, actually the, the agreement was Commodore gave them non-working motherboards, Andrean fixed them, and then sell it as new. As new. Was, was that because of a law in, in Argentina? Or why couldn't they simply import it themselves? I think there were restrictions, yes. I think mm -hmm. there were uh, restrictions. We were in uh, dictatorship. Yeah, dictatorship, consists a regime, regime in the 70s and in the first until 83, 82, 83. So then the, they wanted to protect the industry. So they forced <laughs> to, to build the machines here. We didn't have the technology to, to build them from fresh, <laughs> from zero. We didn't have the technology, the know-how is not machine. Yeah. <laughs> I so see. The business man figure out how to solve the market problem, importing, making these strange agreements with company from abroad. So the law said the machine had to be made in Argentina and yeah. to work around that, you they got broken parts and put them together and this way it was labeled made in Argentina yes. despite it was just repaired and assembled in yes. Argentina. Okay. Yes, exactly. I see, I see. And the M MSX, for example, the were branded talent were actually Daewo machines. I think the case is, I don't recall exactly, but I think it's the same case with a different brand printed. And in, if you open it, the board inside says Daewo. <laughs> so that, that was another workaround about this. And in the case of Sinclair, because of the war in the 82 
for the Falkland Island. They couldn't buy anything to to England. Oeni made made clones. Sir Oeni was a mot- a company that made motors for the for the industry. Things. Yeah. But one of one of the things that the, the Serweni motors were using was in the printers, in the IBM printers, so that were made here in, in Argentina. IBM had presence here, so they think they thought it, it was a good idea to get into the electronics. So they started with calculators, electronic calculators, and then they went into into computers. So they, I think, they had a, an arrangement with Sinclair. I don't know how exactly if they were imported the chips or the board. I'm not sure about that. But they had this arrangement, so they made clones with a similar case. Yeah, that actually that's the Sawani C200, 2000, I'm sorry, with a lookalike uh, spectrum case. But the C, la otra, la the CZ spectrum, that was the clone of the ZX spectrum, had a different case. I don't... It was quite Inter- similar. Interestingly, what many people don't know, there was also a different case for the Australian market for the 64 that was later also sold in UK as a separated empty case. So you could pack your motherboard <laughs> in a different case. Yes. I actually have one of those Australian Z64. I will make a picture of it and put it here. So Argentina is not the only country where they had their own, well, relabeled but, look. But Australia had a, a factory, a Commodore factory, isn't it? I, I think, think so, yes. I yes. think so. I, 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 think I, don't know, I don't know why they had different cases. I have no idea. But it was, uh, the difference is that in Australia was Commodore itself selling the machine. Here was an, another company. But it's still strange that you would use a different case and later make another company a copy of this case for a different country. But I guess that's a different story. But what I read once is that in Spain, the Commodore 64 had a Spanish N keycap on it. Yeah. I don't know if the no, Argentine... No, we kept the English alphabet. Ah. Okay. Yes, it was not uh, translated. What was translated was the all the manuals and all that stuff. But well, not, well, not the computer. Interesting. The reason why there was a Spanish N on the Spanish Commodore 64 keyboard and the Swedish letters on the Swedish keyboard was actually a law in both mm-hmm. countries that uh, required them yeah. to make all letters of the local alphabet yeah, I think working we were, on the computers. Yeah. We were more practical. Yes, Spain, <laughs> Spain, is, Spain is very proud about Spanish language and they have a lot of restrictive laws including movies and the keyboards is the, the same case, but not here. Which is interesting. One would think that Commodore having an, an official market in Spain would just use the Spanish C64 with the modified character set ROM and the modified keycaps and just import them to Argentina rather than using the American or European versions that were not meant for. Totally strange if you think about it. No, but actually the thing was going to to the United States and getting the divorce from the manufacturer. (laughs) 
and bring him back in playing here. So I think they, they bring in them on, I don't know, on cases, something like that. Uh, and buying to Spain, uh, it would imply a different arrangement. Probably, it's pro was probably a practical decision yes. rather, than, rather than an a market decision. Anyway, the, so the reason at the beginning why you said that the PET computer, which was the first home computer by Commodore in 1977, is rare, is they just started the Trian Corporation to import it in the early 80s, you said. So that is why the PET cannot be found easily in Argentina. Yeah. Nobody imported yeah. it off officially. No, only some educational institutions had a Commodore PET, especially in, in, in Bahia Blanca, this city. Uh, some technical schools, Commodore PETs for programming. The CVM ones, no, the, the, with the PET yeah, label. The, the, yeah, the, the, the European version. Yeah, which were 220. Like that. And of course you have one. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Three, three pets, but not the first one. Not yet. But you also got one of those color pets. No, we don't, we no. don't have color pets. No. Those are super rare here. Wow. Okay. If anything, if anyone of your viewers or listeners want to send us <laughs> one of those, we'll be very pleased. Just some years ago, I learned there was even a Commodore C64 called Edu64, yeah, a Commodore educator. 64, yeah, Educator yes. C64 in a pet case with black and white monitor. What a disaster! No, but yes. the, the reason for that was that you could put your 64 into your bag, and but not a pet case, so it was an, a anti theft. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And the and white screen was supposed to make yeah. a better reading experience. For no, no, I think stuff. it was what they had. I think it was what they had because the, the big was the same and it yeah. could output color, but they output it to monochrome black and green and white, <laughs> black and green uh, screen. Was the WIC 20 and the C64 the first computers in Argentina or was no. there somebody no, was that somebody early? No, the Big 20, you couldn't get it here. Uh, I think in, in, in Brazil, it was very popular. But uh, in Argentina, they started with the C64 and C16 that were sold like, uh, if you read the ads, the, adverts, the ad advertisement, it seemed like it was uh, like a C64 with less memory. <laughs> then you find it was a different computer. <laughs> wow. uh, and a lot of people that had C16, they had a little software for it, so it, it was not that common. The most popular it was a C64, and from that they you change if you wanted to keep with Commodore, you could buy a C128 and then the Amiga. Not the yes, Amiga one, one, hand, one hand, uh, 1000, the Amiga 500. Amiga yes, yes. Actually, Commodore here were the most the home computer queen. It was the most selling computer yeah. here oh. and the most popular computer during the 80s. Some people have this uh, MSX or Spectrums or no, but the, other the, British the, family, the, but the, the, the Commodore two was more the, important were the C64 and the Spectrum platform. Being with, with the Sarweni computers or the Micro Digital that were made in Brazil, that also were imported, 
the most popular machine from MicroDigital was the was 90 uh, T um, I. Um, 90 uh, color computer. The I, I can't remember now. The TI it was TK 90X color computer. Yeah, it was not 100% compatible with a uh, with Spectrum, but a lot of software worked. Okay, interesting. So there wasn't really a home computer scene or appearance before 1980. Yes. No. Okay, so it started. So you had a three years delay behind the yeah, rest and, of the and, world. Yeah, and you could you could buy Atari. You could buy Atari in the mid 80s. You could buy the Atari VCS, which was the second version, the light six year. You could buy the Atari was supported by a company I, can, I don't remember. I can't recall. It, it had a sticker on the ones mm -hmm. we had there. On the museum, and you can buy the ColecoVision. It was the European version that was made by CVS, and here they added another brand. <laughs> it was a Kenya CVS ColecoVision, and those were the most popular consoles in the 80s. An Atari, lot, uh, yeah. Atari, Atari computer were not popular here. No, the Atari computer well, is not. They were popular on Chile. There were some clones like the Dynacom. And Edu Game, Edu Games were two clones, Argentinian clones. And from that, we had an, you could buy, I think, a family game. I, I'm sorry, an, an S in the eight in the eighties here. The NS appeared in the form of clone Famicoms, but one was called the Family Game in the nineties, along with the Sega Genesis. Interesting, interesting. Yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. because in in the nineties, we uh, our economy lived one hundred. Uh, we, cha yeah. we change from protectionism yeah, to uh, full free markets in two years. So wow, in the okay. 90s, a um, lot of things was were imported here, uh, including the console. And on 16-bit, uh, Genesis, Sega Genesis was a more popular. And they sell. But today we can go to a store and there are Sega you can buy uh, Genesis. Awesome. Awesome. How was it for the software market? Did you import your software mainly from Spain to have like Spanish translations no, no. of word processors or something? See? No, Piracy. no, Piracy. Okay. Well, here we have a rebranded re demo scene of crackers because the people go to Europe or USA, return with the software. And a small store here changed their, their, the intro, but it was already cracked on Europe. Yeah, you had the local cracker, then you had, I don't know, German cracking service, and then you had the game. <laughs> a re-import crack, I see. Okay. <laughs> yes, interesting, exactly. interesting. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the 80s and the 90s were different. And back then, you had very few software that would be translated into a local language. There were only a few games and a few programs that were translated. I remember my grandfather using WizardWrite 64 to write his letters on an endless paper dot matrix printer. Yes. And it was all in English. There was no yes. German version of Wizard 64 for the German market. So he actually had to, he actually had to buy a prog programmable ROM ship to get German louds and teach them to the printer. 
so you could print the German out. So I guess something similar happened in, in the Argentinian market for the, as we mentioned earlier, the Spanish N or something. So you can actually have your Spanish letters. Yes, it was something like, yeah, but I, the, the end with that thing on top often was done with a, a dash. Sorry, it was. Or they put it by hand, the, the line. <laughs> <laughs> really? Really? You would print out a letter and then put this put the wave above yeah. it by hand? Oh, God. Okay. Yes. Well, okay. was, it, it's not that it's, different, actually. It's not that different. Spanish language only had, uh, have a, has a, a strange letter. Then the, the others are the same. Not very difficult to write it. I guess we are very picky here in Germany. Nobody would accept such a workaround. So I don't like the I don't, I don't like the set instead of Y in the, on the keyboard. It's very strange for me. Still nowadays, every time somebody confuses an O with a zero, something dies into me. Yeah. Something yeah. dies inside me when somebody yeah. writes like times and then writing. A 10 O instead yes. of 10 zero zero. <laughs> no man, you put the wrong key. Just a little bit more up the keyboard, there is a zero to use. But I guess that is from the old typewriter times. Yeah, look, with my son about, I don't know, a few weeks ago, we were into an old typewriter I used in high school. And I rediscovered that it didn't have an, the one and the zero on the keyboard. You had to use the, the L. <laughs> So one and the other is a zero. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and some people funny. still do it nowadays. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. So in summary, you basically had gray market, pirate market for the software, but for hardware, for the game consoles, for the computers, you always got Argentinian companies putting it together yes, from... Yes. A broken or yeah, you could import, import some computer. The Texas Instrument, where I think Texas Instrument was in Argentina. Yes, Those Texas Instrument in office, but it's a special case because Texas Instruments was like IBM. It was a big company with presence in all the countries. So yeah, they, they, have... they, they only made modulators and the power supplies that were external. In Argentina, but the, the machine, the computer was the same. And we were very, very expensive. Yeah, with the, I didn't know anyone. I, a friend of mine had a cousin that had a Texas instrument, but I never saw one until, I don't know, 20, 20 years ago. It was quite rare. And the same happened with the Atari 8-bit line of computers. And also there, there were uh, small projects for instance, Pecos yes. was a truly uh, Argentinian computer. They were, uh, it was designed here. It's like, it was. It could run collect, you, if you make like, a mod, it could run a ColecoVision uh, games. games. But okay. the board were was designed here, and the engineers uh, designed it from scratch, more or less. But and there was another one. I don't remember their name. Well, I don't remember. It was like an MSX, but uh, designed it here. But it was very small project with no projection. And luckily the economical context was, and it's not the best one for developing or researching or making. Yeah, making competitors for the big brands. You couldn't stand out against or something like that. So 
when did the market exactly change that you could have access to all the modern computers? Did it start with the PCs or? When it changed for, for actual computers, Yes. Uh, or, or when we could buy this, yeah, when yeah, we opened yeah. the economy. Exactly. Yeah. We, the thing was, uh, we had an, a hyperinflation in the late, I think it was 89. It was a kid. In the late 80s. In the late 80s, yes. And then we, uh, we with the change of political, with the, the new pricing that came, uh, it said now by law, uh, one peso. It's the same as one dollar. It stopped the hyperinflation, and you had the, that parity that you could buy anything from outside. They opened the customs, more or less. You could buy anything from outside, so it opened all the market. So the, the PCs started. It was in the nineties, so the, the, the era of the three eighty six and. 486. So we started importing all that stuff, the Amiga, but by that, by then the, the market was dominated mostly by PCs. Yeah. yeah Commodore was pretty much struggling yeah. at that <laughs> point. Yeah. Yes, Interesting. Yes. That it's very, it's very similar that what happened in Eastern Europe, more or less it's, it's the same. The difference probably is they have other problems, social problems. And here we were, we were with some protectionism laws that did not allow us to, to, to buy things. But we had three or four years of delay, like in Eastern Europe. Not so bad compared to other countries. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I think that is, 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 is I, I did the, the, the I compared, and maybe you could understand better if you think, oh, it's like Poland or something like that. Yeah, so what's your next plan? What's your next thing you want to do with the museum? You told at the beginning you already changed location to have more space for the tech space museum. So what's the next plan? We have actually a lot of plans, but uh, the next year we want to finish our database, uh, insert all the queries. <laughs> with, uh, we want to know what we have and sort them and then we are making some special events like the retro programming conquest uh, well, that we launched this, this year is it's for uh, spanish-speaking countries because in, in uh, english-speaking countries there are a lot of retro gaming contests but there is there are no no many on spanish-speaking countries so launch a, a, a retro dev mm -hmm. Competition. We can include are... German. We can include German next year. <laughs> Maybe, yes. Maybe. <laughs> yes. And and then we are we are we open once a week Saturdays. So we are scheduling all the all the Saturdays for doing different activities. For instance, this Saturday we are going to show painting programs for kids because on Sunday is Children's Day in Argentina. So we want people with kids that can come here and play with paintbrush on DOS or Deluxe Paint or things like that and enjoy creating arts with retro computers. And so we are trying to, to create a lot of activities. So if you 
return to the museum is not the same like the, the last time. Yeah, it's like changing the exhibits. Interesting. So how do you go about keeping the stuff running? That must be a big issue, keeping all the CRT TVs running, all the old consoles where you barely find anybody knowing how to repair that stuff or finding spare parts to repair what is broken. Yes, we are, we are when something doesn't work, we go for at the store, <laughs> at the, our store, I will, and find if there's something that works. But because we didn't have the catalog full now, we hadn't cataloged all the things. We, we are not sure if we had a spare, I don't know, Sega or a spare something. With that work done, it would be easier. Or perhaps, I don't know, needed Mac, an original Macintosh to do something. And the one that's in the exhibition lacks of memory, so I'm bringing mine for the next Saturday, and we're trying to. And to, then we 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 participate in, and then we participate in different Facebook groups. For instance, here is very uh, Commodore Argentina uh, Commodore user group. I don't know. And there you you can ask them. I need a a, a big chip, blah blah, in, and then I have one, and they can buy it. And there are a lot of small communities online and uh, here or in Spain or in well, Europe actually. And so there is a retro retro hardware network, <laughs> informal ah. network. So we we yes. try to, to be to be in touch with all of them. I thought perhaps you have museum technicians or something to repair hardware. We are trying to to have uh, permanent stuff, but the problem is actually there there are a lot of smart guys. But the guys who knows about Commodore Spectrums are guys from 50 or 60 years old, or I know 40 years old, and they have uh, their own job and they don't want to be here. <laughs> they don't want to help a non-profit museum to keep their no. stuff running. Or sometimes mm. they don't have they don't have time. For they don't have mm. time. They don't have time. Uh, yes. We say the other, the other time that the TV technicians are like grumpy people <laughs> who <laughs> doesn't want to treat with, with other people. <laughs> uh. In the end, what kind of museum would it be if everything was based on emulation? No. That would, we, would not give the feeling. Yeah, but we're trying, trying to slowly replace, uh, at least for the exhibits, is the these drives with uh, modern uh, content parts, SD, SD card readers or stuff like that. For practical issues, it's easier to lead to, to I don't know, uh, to, to deal with a, with a card with all the software than uh, dealing with diskettes. Nothing <laughs> can beat the feeling of a wobbly floppy disk yeah, or reading tapes. or tapes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but the tapes is a different story. People sometimes remember it wrong, saying yes. that disks and tapes took ages to load, which yes. is actually not true, especially for the Commodore 64. A lot of games had fast loaders. Yes, yes. We keep some tapes. We keep some tapes to show how long it, take, it took to, to load the software with, with a Spectrum clone. But we're trying to replace the most, the most drives with... Uh, for instance, for instance here... Part. For instance, here, the, this Amiga is a real drive. Here is MSX, a real ah. disk drive. 
And here we have some big things. We have a, a, a real disk drive for the for that Commodore, but we also use this ah, device ah. for loading from the an SD card. So we try to mix and not to be so furious. But that looked we don't like, like that looked like, that looked like the fifteen seventy one, if I saw it correctly, right? Yes, yeah, fifteen seventy one. Those were the two popular models, the forty one <laughs> and the seventy one. Yeah, the yeah the seventy one is actually pretty expensive and hard to get nowadays. Oh, At yeah. least in Europe, the most people just use fifteen for fifteen forty one, and the seventeen forty one was rarely used. No, after after the introduction of the C sixty the the C one twenty eight, the seventy one became uh, like the standard. Interesting, yes, because yes. Not, because over here and in America, most people just used it in Commodore sixty four mode, so yeah. they hence they connected the yeah 50, the, the same but it was the one that was I don't know that was imported. Uh, I think mm. they don't remember if they changed the badge. Yes, Drian, that's yes. Uh, see, yes, okay, also interesting. Uh, the weird one was the forty one two, that came with for the C sixty four C. Because the C64C wasn't the real C64C also, the case was different. There were some clones made, but when Commodore lost the license, when Drian lost the Commodore license, they started making a proprietary version that was uh, the Drian Com. Yes, uh, they labeled Drian Com because they couldn't use Commodore anymore. So uh, they, they <laughs> Drian Com. <laughs> I think that I think it was based in in a distride I saw in the edit guys videos. A, 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 a Japanese one. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure, but I think it was based. In, it surely would be based in, in another one. It wasn't uh, an Argentinian de development. <laughs> and interesting that you mention it because even Commodore themselves made a, a revision of the Commodore C64C that had the fur that had a Brett spin motherboard in it. They called it the Commodore B3 revision. And the B3 revision was a Brett bin with old SID in a C64C case. Oh. So it's what was okay. so they actually made it officially. But the but it's like the one of the rarest Revisions of the C64. I could tell you, I bought in 1990 a new computer that was a 64 Adrian Commodore C64C with an A revision <laughs> from new. <laughs> yeah, the problem is prob the problem was probably for Treen because the different models of the different revisions of the motherboard have different voltage requirements. So yeah, yeah. that was. That probably needed some brains to solve that, because people back then who didn't know they would blow their SID chips by inserting the wrong SID chip yeah, into the socket. Yeah, they were very unreliable. <laughs> yeah. So well, they didn't care because the aftermarket didn't exist for Drian and not even for Commodore. Commodore was a disaster, uh, I mean, with the customers, and Drian was the same. So the problem was even worse. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I remember as a child, I got a Commodore 64C from a friend 
and that had a broken 8580 SID chip in it. There was one voice not playing, and he did, didn't even notice it. It was since it was bought from the shop. If you didn't know that a voice is missing, you don't know that actually your SID chip is broken. <laughs> so that back then very, didn't have internet. very common, very common on, on Commodore machines. If you open Commodore machines, there there are a lot of production fixes, wires and things, strange things, even on Amigas. Interesting. Okay, and that was done by Trian. I guess. No, yeah, for the yes, fixes yes, and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Because I remember that only for certain countries, like for France, Commodore did that. I once did an interview with uh, Dr. Peter Kittel, who worked for the customer division, the customer support in Commodore Germany. And he told me that, in fact, for the French market, they hired some students to manually sold the CCAM modulator on the mother and the whole protect the whole protection against shortcuts was just a thin layer of cardboard it was incredible so i actually got one from france and of course the french seller on ebay sold me the machine in 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 disassembled so i had to pay for every part separately and i remember that this this construction was so cheap, it was like, oh my God. Yeah. And he told me, in fact, Commodore Germany hired some students to solder those CAM modulators in, in homework. Wow. Yeah, here, I think I read somewhere that if you were able to solder, you were hired, something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible to think about it now, 40 years later, that you actually could sell such things to the market and nobody would complain. Yes. Especially in France and Argentina. But in Germany, for example, that was not possible. In Germany, we had a actually a diff an aluminium coated cardboard yeah. in the machines yes, for we... protection against interference. Yeah, we had the same here. And it would cause the machine to overheat because it was also it would also block the ventilation holes it was so stupid <laughs> yeah yes. and also the cars like an uh, insulation <laughs> yeah it's it's uh, super super interesting so it's good that that there are museums like yours that keep the things alive but i hope that down the road you can convince some Grumpy technician to help you repairing yeah, the stuff. We're into it. Yes, well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very interesting that sometimes appear appear here uh, young people that want to learn, and they they learn uh, actually reading or researching by the, by themselves. And there are a new generation of retro, retro fans that are learning things. We have here a, a guy that is writing a Spectrum game in Chin, and he's, I don't know, 28. Mm. Be because the big problem, what, what many people don't realize, the more you waste away those old computers and put them to the trash and simply re replace them, the less you have on the whole market in the end effect because there are less and less old machines you could use. So if you keep replacing, 
at some points you have nothing to replace it with anymore. So yeah, the solution course. has to be repairing in the end. Yeah. Yes. But you get to the you get to the if you get to the cheap level, sometimes uh, I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> there are some CPUs made by, made by Commodore. I think that the plus four, the there is a very unreliable chip. So sometimes I, the most chips wouldn't be working anymore. So but, we have to come with an, 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 I know, a, a newer solution. <laughs> yeah. but, but there has been made new PLR ships yes. and new clock ships for different Commodore models. Yes. And mm -hmm. those ships, you actually have little dip switches where you can switch between the models Yes. for different yes. Commodore 64 models. So there is an aftermarket for replacement ICs. Yes, yes. Fortunately. yes. But yes. It, they are not the original ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah. I think that the last five years were very positive for retro computing because of the FPGA technology and 3D printing and other advances that are quite good. People mm. making uh, accelerators or chip replacement using this technology. Maybe we are going to lose many knowledge and things, but these things are helping now. We will see how things turn out. Think about it like uh, music cassettes or records. Nowadays, records yeah. are called vinyls, but <laughs> nowadays they are reopening fa factories from the 70s and using old machines from the 70s yeah. to produce new vinyl for music lovers. And in, in Poland, there's still a factory for new mu music cassettes. So yeah. perhaps so down the road, there will be more, there will be a new factory for diskettes, for floppy disks. But then the problem is you have to keep your disk drives running. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, they have to start making brand new these tributes or mechanisms. That's awesome. <laughs> a different thing, yeah. Which which leads me to the question: Are you aware of other museums around you? Are you in touch or working together with other museums from other countries? Yes, we are. We are. We we think we have a, a global vision about retro computing scene and our museum. So we are trying to be in touch with many museums, and we are in touch uh, actually. Uh, and specifically when I mean, I think two European museums. We also talk with a, a museum from the United States. And yes, we are trying to be on the network because it's not very common an Argentinian or a Latin American computer museum. So we are trying to, to be on the top list. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, in the end, we have to work together to keep the old stuff yeah. running. Yeah, yeah. yes. Uh, we think that the community is the most important thing in retro computing. We don't like the idea of a museum isolated with the things behind a glass. We like people come here and test their own software and we be in the Facebook groups talking with the people who, who every Friday test a new indie game for a spectrum. So we like to be a node, a hub for these communities. So people mm. can come here uh, physically or send us their own game or whatever. And we want to be part of that thing. So you spoke about the FPGA advantages earlier. So what's your opinion about the 
Commodore 64 creations that happened in the last seven years. In Germany, we have we had files from individual computers making the Commodore 64 Reloaded, which is actually mm -hmm. a real Commodore 64 motherboard. And then you have Gideon Schweitzer in, in the Netherlands making the Ultimate 64, which is more the FPGA-based. Approach. Well, I, 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 but in the case of individual computers, I like that company. I really like their point of view. It's quite expensive, but I understand uh, why it's expensive because it's a niche. We are few people buying that thing, so they have to survive. So the prices are, are rational. It's expensive, but it's okay. And in that case, I, I, I really like what they did. I didn't know the other things, but I like FPGA solution. I don't like when some projects change things, the design of the machines. I don't want to criticize another a specific project, but there are some projects that are, uh, for a, 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 especially on, on the Amiga scene, because I'm more, I read more about Amiga than C64, but they're changing the chipset. I don't like that, actually. Mm. But I like uh, an, if, uh, an effort to recreate the machine. If you want only to have a, a cheap C64-like machine, put a Raspberry Pi inside, it's okay. I don't care. But in, in the hardware point of view, I like the, these new designs that recreate the hardware. Maybe the, the common people who are not inside the retro computer, for them, it's the same. And they don't care about this, a Raspberry Pi or, or, or a real hardware. Because you said you, you've never heard about the Ultimate 64, it's the same guy that made the 1541 Ultimate, which is the floppy cartridge emulator that is oh. very known in Germany and America. Mm. I don't know how much it is known in Argentina, but it's, it's the same guy that made this floppy emulator cartridge. Perhaps you heard of the Ultimate 1541. Yes, yes. Yeah, I heard the name, but I'm not into the project. But I would like to talk about the, the C64 Mini and those kind of projects. That would have been my next yeah. question. Yes. Yeah, because it's a way to... If you have a, an original C64, you have to have the monitor or TV where to connect it or some kind of trans, translating solution. And for some people, that's a, a difficult that keeps them away from trying uh, the platform. So I find in the in these mini versions of things uh, like the Nintendo or PlayStation or 64, a way to, to approach people that perhaps could never thought about buying or being into a, a, a specific platform and a way to keep public uh, more wider than just the collectors. Yeah, it's, it's, I personally a, a don't like it, but I respect <laughs> it. No, no, I respect it because it depends on the consumer. If you are a consumer that wants to play on the TV, it's okay and it's, it's, a, it's a cheap solution, a nice solution because some products are really nice. But in, personally, I prefer fire with the real yeah. machine because it's yeah. what I like. Yeah, but sometimes you want to deal with the software at the software level or a gaming experience and not in a hardware level. So it's the same if it's the real, real computer or it's an emulation. If you can hook it to your TV and play with the joystick, which is easier than opening a computer, downloading a, an emulator, downloading the, the images of the disks, 
You plug it and you play. It's a plug, a real plug and play. At the end of the day, it's something good for the scene. More people is talking about Commodore 64. For me, it's, it's, it's nice in that. The the 64 Mini. I know the project manager. I I know Darren Mailburn, and he's actually the same guy that also visionized the DTV in 2004. And my main gripe was with the C64 Mini when it was first released that the all the games that were shipped with the system and in the flash memory, they were frozen at a state where the title screen music would start in the middle. And after a year, I received an email from Darren Mailburn telling me like, in the next firmware update, we are going to fix this. And only after that, I was able to use happily my C64 <laughs> Mini because it disturbed me each time I started a game like the title screen music is starting in the middle. Yeah. So, of course, I understand your point, Sebastian. The average user who remember the computer from 30 years ago, 40 years ago, he doesn't remember, probably he doesn't notice that the product he bought isn't very well accurate on what it's doing compared to the original but yeah. somebody like me or francesco as i understood then we see that it's not accurate to a certain detail it's like ah, no really yeah but why I, did they I do think, that i think that's different between retro and vintage i heard it in the in the documentary about pinballs it says something retro is something how you remember it and the vintage was how it really was. Sometimes yeah. you wanted to live retro experience. When Ron Gilbert was designing it, the game and Thimbleweed Park, they started exactly. trying to do something like Maniac Mansion and then, then re they realized that they wrote in, in their blog. We haven't had to be specific like Maniac Mansion because nowadays we have another possibility. So let's do something like you would like to be then a, a game right. like this, but Let's not keep uh, in, in the, into those limits. Actually, so now, I think that this is the same discussion that the Star Wars fans have every day. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, but you are true. We had an interview with Ron Gilbert where he totally admitted that, yes, that he didn't want to keep the technical limitation. That is why Simpleweed Park introduced something like pixel shaders. Yes. For different lighting, lightning shadings and stuff like, Wow, okay. That is exactly why, because he didn't want to keep the limitations of the 70s. And I even though it, when you play it, you play Thimble Park on modern computers, because you can play it in a 64, and you, I, I enjoyed playing it. And True. it was like, I think I felt the same, like when I was playing Monkey Island on, eight, uh, on a PC in the 90s. So the, Maniac Mansion and C64. I felt the same with uh, some historical background now. It's a, a similar experience. I don't know how it was for you, but for me, I remember that as an adult knowing English, I rediscover a lot of games. Yeah. Back in, when I was a child, I didn't know what was actually standing on the screen, what it meant. Yeah, yeah. I, I only knew continue, game over, retry and start. And yeah, that well. was it. And when I was an adult and I actually learned English, I rediscovered something like, wow, 
Super Mario has a story. Oh my yes. God. Yes, it's the same. Uh, it's yes. the same. It's the it's same. The same. I, I learned a little English from the video games and computer manuals. So it's uh, wow. So when people ask me, so, so in which language do you play your PC games? I'm like, in English, of course. Why would I use a bad German translation with voice actors that are not the real voices? So I don't know. So that's really something I discovered. So it's interesting to, to hear that you actually don't buy software from the Spanish market. So you had actually the same problem like anybody else you were confronted with english keyboards english software yes, yes. and you had to deal with it yes 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 in the 90s in the 90s you started to get some spanish translated uh, copies yes that also came from europe we have we have here uh, some ma magazines uh, some spanish mm -hmm. magazines like Micromania and I think Hobby Hobby Consolas también creo que era. We could we could read about games and the European scene. Yeah. We learned about computers we didn't know existed like the Amstrad. The Amstrad is quite extremely rare in Argentina. <laughs> Or the Dragon 32? The what? The Dragons 32. Ah, the Dragon, yes. Dragon. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> What is that? A funny side note, I once made I once made an interview with Paco Portello, which is a Spanish pioneer because he made a Bugaboo, the flea, mm -hmm. the first computer game having cutscenes, despite Cutscenes was a term that Ron Gilbert invented with Maniac Mansion first. And he didn't know English, so he brought a translator. And at some point he was like, yes, like the Dragon computer. And the translator was like, Dragon? Why are we talking about dragons now? Aren't we talking about <laughs> technology? Yeah, that is how I remember that it confused the translator because he didn't expect a computer to, to be called Dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, well, well uh, related with that, I want to be fair with the with the Spanish guys. They made very good games in Spain. They have a, a gold a golden age during the 80s. So the Spanish software we had here was the Spanish-made software, not the Spanish adap uh, adaptation of, of other software. Uh, yes, yes, he told me about it. The golden years. Yeah, he's such a pioneer. He even made a book about it. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. the book is in Spanish, so I can't read it. I was a lazy bone as a child. When my mom said you should learn a third language, perhaps Spanish or French, I was like, um, no, not really. Why would I <laughs> want to learn Spanish? Yeah, I was... I was Why would I talk with Spanish-talking people? My, my argument was I would never use Spanish or French as much as I would use English. So yeah. in the end... It would end up being half broken. And I remember once I was on a holiday in 2010 in, in, in Mallorca in Spain. And when I asked the Spanish people, which language do you prefer, English or German? Everybody said English is easier for me than being forced to speak German to tourists. So I spoke English with all the Spanish workers in the hotel, uh, restaurants and stuff. Anyway, 
Yeah, but th that's just a little thing. Anyway, this is actually why we do this interview in English because yeah, right, okay, it's yeah. I like to I like to talk in English because I have to practice more. So for me, it's okay. I even prefer doing in English than in Spanish. If you if you speak in Spanish, it's okay. But I prefer talking in English. And we save the cost for the translator. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. That's, That's also true. true. That's awesome. We we almost got one hour and a half. Oh my god. Okay. Oh my Very god. late oh. there. Yes, half past. 10. I will probably okay. have some dinner and then go to okay. bed in an hour or two. <laughs> okay, but it's okay. no problem. At least we got working microphones today and no electricity shortage. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> it looked like the first world. <laughs> That's actually surprising. I thought it was more like Venezuela having this power outage issue. No, it's quite common here. Really? I yeah, yeah, but not, uh, it's common, but not so common. No, it's not that common, but it could happen that you are working in your house and suddenly the lights mm. went out, the electricity went out. And now we repair, you can, you call it the company, the, the company and said, yeah, we're, we're repairing it or, okay. But they're hopefully not for long, right? You always have to have some candles in a drawer in the kitchen. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So, well, in 2013, I was for three weeks, I was in Lima, Peru. I remember they didn't have, they didn't have power electricity issues, but they had sometimes no water. Oh, okay. So you only could use the shower or the toilet at certain hours a day. Yeah, it could depend, it could be for the, yeah, the, the placement of the city and the mountains and the geography. Yeah. In Argentina, you have different situation depending different, on the city. Yeah, and different situations. Yes. Yes. Problem with electricity is even worse on during the summer. We are on winter. It's not very common, but the other habit, but it's not so in some. It's very problematic because the yeah. air yeah. conditioner. Oh, okay. So it's the air conditioners are overloading the electricity network no mm -hmm. actually it's our infrastructure infrastructure that is not up to the demand as it should be <laughs> something we have to solve in the future in the near mm. future uh, south africa is the same problem but it's because of corruption yeah, yeah. instead yeah, of repairing the infrastructure mm -hmm. they are putting it to their own pockets yeah, we yeah. don't have the more uh, the most noble politicians here. Also, <laughs> <laughs> no, no problem. I will remove all this private <laughs> chatter, so you don't get problems living in Argentina. No, 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 it's okay. No, no problem. We we can we can say it. We can say yeah. it. <laughs> well, I've been to so many places before the pandemic in my life that. I find this interesting. There's a lot of prejudgment and stereotype. I remember when I was flying over France to, to Lima, and I remember there was a family on the flight sitting in the same row next to me. And they were like, so how many languages do you speak? And I was like, two, English and German. And they said, no, no Spanish. I said, no, no Spanish. And they were like, you are going to Peru for three weeks without knowing Spanish? You're out of your mind. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I survived. I'm still here. No, you can, yeah. Now you can come here and you can do your interviews from the museum. 
Perhaps, yeah. I hope the pandemic situation soon resolves. In April 1st, April's Fool's Day, what a coincidence, the German government decided no masks are mandatory anymore. And since then, mm -hmm. we have our first corona wave in summer. Okay. Because people are stupid and everybody is getting sick right now. So I don't know how the situation is in Argentina, but in Germany, it's really mindless. People are mindless. Of course, everybody's getting sick. If everybody stops using masks from one day to another, that's, of course, commonplace. And it even, it even became so big that now they don't have enough bus drivers anymore. <laughs> because all the bus drivers are sick in my city. So you can't even reach work if you don't have a car because... There's no bus driving. Here, the situation is more relaxed. Yes, here the problem was that the government was a disaster managing the situation. But one thing that is good here compared with other uh, countries in Latin America, the people like to vaccinate. The, 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 the levels of number of people that uh, put the vaccine voluntary are very high. Mm. We have we had some problems with the scheduling the first month mm. because the government made a lot of mistakes by the, they made the, the, some deals with Russia and some weird things but then they bought the good ones <laughs> and and the, the levels of the number of people with vaccination are very high i wish it was the same over here but you've already heard about it germany is together with austria and switzerland we are number one nation against conspires. Bill Gates is putting something into the, the vaccine and they are poisoning us with, easy, which is, with each dose of the vaccine and such bullshit. We don't have a lot of people vaccinating, unfortunately, compared to other countries, as I said, Argentina or Israel, where 95% of the population yes. is vaccinated. We are not so lucky here. Hopefully next year it will become endemic because I still have an open invitation to Brazil because I interviewed Kano Arnold, who is the founder of TechToy, and he retired three years ago, and he invited me to have a factory visit to the new owners of TechToy, so I can oh. see how the new master systems and mega drives are oh, manufactured super. and developed. And so that is still an open invitation I want to take. Still want to see that, how mega drives are done nowadays. Because the limited uh, 2017 edition became unlimited because of popular demand. So Tecto is still doing the limited dis edition mega drive nowadays, five years later. So I would oh. probably go to Brazil first be before I, I go to Argentina. Yeah. Good choice. Better weather. Yeah, yeah, what's a good plan? <laughs> yes, good plan. It's a good plan. Maybe we can go there too. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? Yeah, it, it all depends. I was in Brazil once in 2012, so 10 years ago. And I, rem I remember we were at the, at the mall. There was also the cinema. And there mm -hmm. was like a queue going two times around the block for entering the cinema. And I remember I said to my friend, we are not going to wait two hours until we get our turn to, to buy a ticket for the movie and then watch the movie. 
in fact, we went home and we printed a QR code and paid with the Visa credit card. And we were the only ones who did that. So the next day, we could just pass the line and go to the single guy with the scanner <laughs> and go in instantly and, and watch the movie. And I was like, man, why is nobody else doing that? We are doing that in Germany all the time. You have the possibility in Brazil. You have it put in place, but nobody uses it. You rather spend two hours waiting on the counter to buy a paper ticket. So that really surprised me. Wow. <laughs> of course, now it's 10 years later, probably things got way ahead in, in Latin America. I wasn't there. Oh, here, uh, here, the problem is that uh, we are, we use a lot of cash because we have a high level of uh, taxation and things, and other people like using cash. So it's a way to protect against the government. But in parallel, there is a lot of use of uh, QR, QR payments with a local company called Mercado Pago, that is very powerful here, and people like it, like it to, to pay with yeah. digital but, payments. But thanks for the invitation. I would love to come and see the museum with my yeah. own. I'm very happy that, as I said, you are a non-profit because we had a lot of interviews in the past two years. We are a lot of museums actually had to shut down because of the pandemic and no en entrance fee from visitors anymore. Or the landlord would fire fire them and say, we, you can't rent the, the location anymore. So you're lucky over there. Yeah, You're mute. Sorry. I think in that aspect, we are very lucky. Yes. Right. yes, we have a small structure of many people, so we are trying to be careful and not to grow so fast thinking about the worst case. Where well, we live in a place with bad things happen sometimes, so we are aware about that. So you have a backup plan, I hope, for the future. Yeah, I don't know mm -hmm. if we have a backup plan, but we are accustomed to the crisis. <laughs> <laughs> you adjust accordingly. Yeah. We are very uh, short-term situations because we have crisis, inflation and things, and we are thinking about the next crisis. So we are very flexible. Yeah, I have to go. I have to go. Sure. It's okay. kind of late. Okay. Yeah, so I salute you. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for all. See you, well, thanks see you for soon. your time. See you soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Talk to bye -bye. you then. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye, -bye. bye.